Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And it's race week. Well, it was race week. But we just had race week. Yes. And it's the end of week one of Fantasy GP. And I'm already getting my butt kicked. I didn't even look. Well, I'm kicking your butt. I didn't even bother because I forgot to do my predictions. You're definitely getting your butt kicked. Yeah, I am 48 points behind the leader. Wow. Yeah. Who's the leader? Phil. Phil, who keeps winning our league. Okay, anyway. Um, I mean, most loyal listener and that's league thing. winner, I'm so... Going to have to go and take a look and see what his team... That, that That's oh. the question, is what are the team choices there? Oh, well, he picked up both Hamilton and Mercedes. How did he do that? I have whoa, no whoa, idea. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, I bet he... he went for the super ultra pro that gave you the extra five million but even just the pro gave you five million unless the ultra pro gave you an extra extra five million wait you can spy on other people's teams isn't the pro exclusive it is a pro exclusive so how come i'm the only one here who doesn't have pro well one you didn't even fill out your predictions and two you did not ask. You could have at least communicated. We could have. We could have. It would have been nice. Could have. Didn't. But moving on. You didn't ask. I didn't know that you were willing to give that out. It was £4.95. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, for, for pro, you don't... Because they introduced this year that new level, Pro didn't give you extra budget. I thought it gave you $5 million extra. No. Because I didn't get extra money. I have all of a million dollars in my budget here. And my driver lineup is Hamilton, Vettel, Russell, and McLaren, Alpine, and Williams. Well, I can tell you... And I had a million left. I can tell you, I don't have Mercedes or Hamilton. That's how I had to lay it out. Verstappen? No. Mm. I went um I went mid pack going for that idea that they could move a little bit better. Well, okay. Cause I was like, even McLaren was super expensive this year. It was crazy. Yeah, the prices just really went up. Um Oh, I'm sorry. I do have Verstappen. But I picked up Verstappen, Schumacher, and Norris. Figuring I'd get five points out of Schumacher because he'd beat his teammate every week. Well, okay. Yeah, there was that. And and Schumacher was cheap. That was the other thing. Well, yeah. And I picked up McLaren, Aston Martin, and Alpine. I went mid-packs on the teams. Okay. So my team is, for my drivers, I have Perez, um, Gasly, and Norris. And then for my cars, I decided to focus more mid-pack and go for Aston Martin, Alpine, and McLaren. See, you and I have the same team cars. Your, your drivers would have actually gotten you decent points this week. I actually got over 100 points despite not filling out predictions. Well, then part of the problem is you didn't join our league. 
you need to join the league because I can't see you at all. Well, of course not. You never decide to communicate with me about what you're playing with Fantasy GP, leaving me to be the run to the squad who doesn't have pro. Ugh. The the league is all your fault. You had to do that when you set up the team again. Yeah, you just had to reactivate into the league. That's your fault. But, and if you got over 100 points with your team, you would actually be ahead of me on the league. Okay. Well, we have somebody with zero. Yeah. And he was brutal last year, so. I know. I don't know what anyway. happened there. Anyway, so before because there wasn't a lot to talk about this week but reno has stated publicly that they are now committed to formula one for eternity eternity which i thought was questionable i mean think about it only one team running their engines nobody else is dealing with it um they they have not had great success over the last couple of years i we were wondering about the future However, Renault CEO Luca DeMio has said that um, Formula One will be the cornerstone of the Alpine brand. And by the way, we have confirmed it actually is Alpine. We found this out before the broadcast this week. Yes, it is Alpine. And I'm very frustrated because the t-shirt with the pronunciation is gone. The links don't work to it. It's not on the website anymore. It wasn't even available when it when it initially popped up and said it was supposed to be for pre-order. I don't know. Maybe it was an early April Fool's joke. <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway. So Luca DeMio said, Mio said, For the commitment of Renault, it's true that we went back and forth, but we have been always there for 44 years as an engine producer or engine or chassis with our brand. I'm a car guy, so when I came to lead Renault, I said to myself, I'm not going to be the one that is going to stop 44 years of history of Renault. I'm not going to be that guy. (laughs) So as long as I'm here, the people for Formula One, they don't have to worry. they They only have to work to create a profitable business model, to win races, etc., and to have a good image for the company. But it is very clear. One of the messages from my side is that we are there. Let's say for eternity with Alpine in Formula One. Because Formula One is the backbone of Alpine. It's in the middle of the company. Okay. I was going to just ask, you know, exactly how long did Renault, you know, think eternity was? I just wanted, you know, be able to put it on my calendar. For- well, I mean, if, if this works, and, and if this is true, at the very least, it's for as long as Luca DeMio's reign over the Renault Group. Okay. We don't know how long that's going to be, but at the very least, as long as Luca is running Renault Because he group, won't be that guy. Alpine will remain in Formula One. All right. Running Renault engines. Okay. But at least it's Alpine now. Yeah. And can we talk about how pretty the blue is on their car? Well, you you did last week, too. I still like it. Even though it looks like an inverted manner? It doesn't. You just don't understand my vision. (laughs) No one does. Of course. But 
no, I was noticing during the race that there's some gorgeous liveries on the cars this year. This year, the cars stand out. You know, we've come a long way from everybody being gray, black or gray. Yes. Or silver. Exactly. Or black. And one red. (laughs) Did you, I didn't notice in the livery reveal, but Ferrari's is a gradation of those reds. Did you notice that? No. It starts off with that cherry red that they've had for several years, mm-hmm. and it gradiates towards the back to that historic red that they ran when they ran the Italian race. You mean, um, oh, of course, not, Mugello. That's it. It was at Mugello they did that mm-hmm. for their anniversary that they did really bad. Yeah, I don't think you should ever have a special race at your home track. That's not a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, add Netflix filming it and you have like a recipe for disaster. Um, but no, it gradiates back to that that really awesome red that I loved. I'll have to go look it up because I don't remember that. Or maybe it was just a shadow. Also possible. So the Grand Prix Drivers Association has a new director. Really? Well... Roman Grosjean was a director of the GDPA, which, you know, kind of interesting given his safety record and all that, that he would be so heavily involved in the GDPA. But all that aside, he was. But of course, now that he's not a Formula One driver, he has stepped aside. Okay. George Russell has taken up the role. Because of his years of experience? Well, as he puts it, it's to represent the, the, the rookies and the younger drivers. And to make sure that there is a voice from the younger side of the grid in the GDPA. Well, from that standpoint, I can't think that they'd have a better ambassador. I think George is very well spoken and um, is a really good guy. I mean, you wouldn't want like a Lando Norris that would just be kidding around all the time. I would assume that, you know, he would take it seriously occasionally. Have you, have you watched Lando? I don't think he takes anything seriously. Every once in a while he does. Other than driving. Every once in a while he does. Okay. I mean, again, he he was one of the first drivers who backed Captain Tom. Well. Just saying. I mean, everybody should have backed Captain Tom. Yeah. Um, but... George joins Sebastian Vettel as a director. So there's three directors. Sebastian Vettel is is one of them. Um, The other, who is also the chairman of the GDPA, is uh, Alex Wirtz. Oh, okay. Not worse. Wirtz. Yes. Got it. That guy. That guy. He designs (laughs) racetracks, by the way. He does. Formula former Formula One driver. Didn't he, like, design that really bad track? No. Oh. That's the, you're thinking of some of the Tilki designs. No, uh, he actually. Oh, wait, he's doing the Saudi Arabia. Mm-mm. No. Tilki is doing this. It's a Tilki design for Saudi Arabia. Alexander Wirtz has not designed a Formula One track. Then... He designs racetracks. Oh. But um, none of them are Formula One tracks. Kind of disappointing. Kind of, because we've talked about his philosophy for designing tracks before. 
and it would probably be useful. But what was your very bad track that you were talking about? I'm kind of curious. Well, take your pick. There's Abu Dhabi. There's that other one that I can't remember the name of that we talked about. Paul Ricard. That one. Um, there was um, India. We haven't been back to India in forever. We could like basically forget that it ever existed. <clears throat> well, too bad. India was a Tilki track. Paul Ricard is actually a fairly old track. But really what it's best for is not so much racing as testing. Correct. And what about Abu Dhabi? That's... Abu Dhabi is a Tilki track. So two out of three. And Abu Dhabi would have had a fighting chance if it wasn't for the off-camber curves. And yeah. also for the how the width of the cars. If they were much more narrower because of how narrow the track is, there would be more opportunities for overtaking. And that's something that Abu Dhabi struggles with is due to the narrowness of the track and the width of the cars, there's no chance for a driver to overtake all that much. Well, exactly. But when they designed Abu Dhabi, the cars were a different width. Just like when Monaco was originally laid out, the cars weren't the same size they are today. Well, that's because both of those tracks have not aged well as F1's evolving. The tracks themselves aren't evolving to match the pace that Formula One is evolving. Monaco can't evolve. It's a street circuit. Oh. Besides the point, <laughs> but Paul, but Abu Dhabi. Okay, moving right along. So, big topic for discussion this week is the new aero rules and the changes that were made to the flooring that reduced rear downforce. Mm-hmm. Well, what we have discovered is that the cars with a low rake, as opposed to the cars with a high rake, um, it has impacted them quite a bit. So, the rake of the car. It, it, it's not what they use to, to, you know, clean up the leaves. It is the angle, the, the, it, it is the height of the car, the, the rear of the car as opposed to the front of the car. It's the difference between the there back end of the car and the front end of the car. In height. Yes. So low rate cars. Had like, very small distance differences. But, but not only that, but Mercedes and, um, well, the, the, new Aston Martin and previous racing point, and I think even the Ferrari to some extent, um, they have done very well under the previous aero rules. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point that really only... And Red Bull's always been known for running a high-rake car. Yes. For years. Um, And it got to a point where, like, Red Bull and Alpha Tori were, like, the last two teams that were running high-rate cars. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems that with the change in the aero regulations going in this year, cars running a higher rate have a significant advantage. Which is partially what we saw with the speed that Red Bull had. Yes. Um, Aston Martin actually estimates that it's somewhere around a second a lap. That's crazy. It's massive. Now, Aston Martin is very upset over this Mm -hmm. and upset over how much of an impact it had. Rumor has it that uh, Otmar was trying to call some sort of a meeting with the stewards and was going to bring up data 
<coughs> to express his displeasure over the impact of the rules. Interesting. You know, as much as I think it sucks that it's had this much of an impact and, and that that it may be as big of an issue as it is, you built the car. So with the new arrow regulations, does that mean no more arrow cats? Um, I don't know what happened to the arrow cats. So arrow cats really been gone for quite a while. Oh. So that was the Renault barge board from like five years ago. Oh. But everyone's moved away from that concept. So <clears throat> here's the question I have. I have a thousand questions. So they said, Aston Martin's estimating that a high rake car has a one second a lap advantage with a new aero design. No. One second disadvantage, if, or excuse me, a high rate car. You're correct. A low rate car is a one second disadvantage. Okay. You're right. When the Boffins did an estimate as to how much faster the Red Bull car was running in Bahrain than the Mercedes, mm-hmm. said that in race conditions, they believed that the Red Bull car was getting approximately 0.3 seconds a lap faster around the the circuit than the Mercedes. And qualifying on Saturday was 0.4. Well, that was the difference that it actually mm-hmm. occurred. They did say going in that like just on the surface, they thought that they were pretty close in qualifying. So where the estimate has come from, the best that I can tell from what I have heard, is that if you look at the qualifying times this year, as opposed to the qualifying times, what, five months ago was the last time we were in Bahrain? Mm-hmm. It is about 1 to 1.1 seconds slower across the board. Oh, okay. And I think that's where he's getting this from. Okay. But I'm not positive. Well, <clears throat> if it's across the board, then, well, I don't know. But but even that doesn't work because, again, the the high-rate cars aren't having this issue. Correct. Or as much of an issue. So the question becomes, you know, what happens? You know, what do they do? And does this only affect them in hot weather? Because weather and wind seem to be bigger deals to this. Wind does. And I don't know if heat is as much of it, was as much of an issue for the race. Because, you know, it's a night race specifically because it's so much cooler there. I don't know if heat was as much of an issue as rain was. But in terms of what they do, from an FIA perspective, the answer is absolutely nothing. No, because it shook up the grid, and that's a good thing. <clears throat> no, yeah, but it's also the the rules are the rules. Mm-hmm. And you knew that walking into it. You knew what the design was. You knew what the suspension geometries were going to be. We're not changing the rules to accommodate your suspension geometries. Yeah, I understand. Um, and, and that's, in, in terms of how the high-rate teams, or excuse me, in terms of how the low-rate teams ad, um, adjust to the performance deficit there, they can't just magically make the car a high-rate car. You can't just jack up the back end? No, because of the fact that, so it, it's entirely based on the configuration of the suspension, the suspension geometries. That stuff is homologated at the start of the season, 
Uh, and can't be changed. Okay. So you can't take a low-rate car and make it a high-rate car to address the problem. Interesting. you got to come up with other, as Martin Brundle would say, aerodynamic furniture. Interesting. Good to know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Michael Massey has said that the F, or, yeah, the FIA and the race directors in particular are going to be taking a stricter line when it comes to contact in the first lap and how they will address issues in incidents in the first lap. So as you recall, a couple of years ago, F1 made the decision and the FIA made the decision that really when it came to these incidents, they were going to let folks race. Mm-hmm. It was what happened, happened, unless it was something that was incredibly grievous, they were just going to let it go. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's a bit of chaos in the first lap and they don't want drivers necessarily holding back out of fear of penalties. And remember, that was, we had a couple of years ago, they had taken a very hard line on any kind of contact whatsoever and the drivers started dialing back. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. Re- they don't want that to happen. Um, however, they've also realized that maybe just turning around and agreeing to complete anarchy isn't the great, the greatest idea either. And that they've got to come up with some kind of middle ground here. Well, that's good. I think the the sheer chaos going into the first corner seems to affect people a lot. Mm-hmm. So what Michael Massey has said is, based on some feedback and the ongoing discussions that we have with the drivers and team sporting directors and team principals, there was a feeling under the let them race principle, we needed to sort of dial that back a little bit in regard to the first lap incidents. They will still be treated, let's call it, in a different way to incidents on any other lap of the race, so we're still taking a more liberal approach than we would otherwise. However, not as liberal as probably we did last year. And that came about literally with feedback from the drivers and the teams through last year who felt that we needed to just go back a notch. They didn't want to go back completely to the same, but dial it back a little bit. He does say it's going to be case by case, um, but they did speak with the drivers. And there were a couple of areas that they pointed out that were more likely in previous that. In previous years, they would have let go that they're more likely now to go and give penalties for. Um, But one of the things that they talk about is right at the start of the race, Mm. you know, in that first corner where everybody's bunched up, they're still going to be probably fairly lenient with what goes on there because the field is so bunched up. But towards the back half of the first lap, as the field starts to stretch out and there's more room for drivers to react in a safe manner as opposed to ping pong balls mm-hmm. that they may start taking a dimmer view on some of the driver's conduct so one of the things that, that he had called out and i don't remember the exact incident was in sochi last year there was an incident in the first lap with lance stroll and i believe charles leclerc that left lance stroll that, that caused lance to spin that they didn't take any actions like this year that happens at, that that's definitely a penalty we're, okay. we're not putting up with that this year and i think a a lot of it had to do with where it occurred in the lap okay and the ability for somebody to have actually avoided it Mm -hmm. that makes some sense speaking of of 
first lap incidents. <laughs> Your favorite. Nikita hashtag we say no to Mazepin. <laughs> okay. Oh no, not this guy. Um, he says that he's very angry with himself for crashing out of the race at lap one. He's angry. in turn three. He's angry yeah. with for himself for crashing in during the race, but is he angry with himself for his previous actions too? Uh, probably not. But um, so he crashed out in turn three, <laughs> and he's angry. Did he pack his angry eyes to Bahrain? I don't know. So he said he made a mistake. Really? That's yeah. normally what happens when you spin the car around. So what he says was, the tires were cold. I got on the curb, took too much throttle and spun. Totally my mistake. I'm very sorry to the team because they deserved to do much better than that. I'm very angry with myself and very sorry for the team. He's going to have his own naughty step, isn't he? So let's just remember. He spun how many times on Saturday? I have no idea. More than once. Possibly lost count. Sunday, he made it to turn three. So he's earning his other hashtag, Mazza Spent. Yeah, you know, if this is how the season... If if this is a prelude to what the season's going to look like for Nikita... Uh, yeah. Okay. I wonder if he's going to rival S- Sebastian Vettel in Vettel's title as the spin master. Possibly, but at least Vettel has some world championships to back it up. That's the big thing is, you know, Vettel has finished races and he's got championships and he's won races. Um, we still question whether or not Mazepin should be in that seat. I mean, right now, Mazepin and I have finished the same number of Formula One races. That is true. But speaking of Sebastian Vettel. (laughs) Not my qualifications. No, not yours. But speaking of Sebastian Vettel, he had that incident with um, uh, Esteban Ocon. He did. That he got on the radio and complained about Esteban and changing lines and all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, well, now that he's had a chance to think about it, and he's not in a race car. And review the video. He said that, yeah, it was probably his fault. Probably. Not not actually admitting error, but... Well, what he said. So, he said, I thought he would stay right, and then when he came back left, he was right ahead of me, and I locked up. So, it was probably my mistake. I spoke with him straight away, and I think we agree, so there's not much to go through. And the stewards ruled that Vettel, Vettel was wholly to blame for the collision. So keep in mind that he got that morning, even though the incident occurred the day before, finally made up to the stewards, he got that morning three points on his penalty license for blowing through the double, the wave double yellow flags after, after Mazepin spun at the end of Q1. And five grid penalty. And a five-place grid penalty. Then he has the incident with Esteban Ocon that gave him two more penalty points. What's the, How many penalty points does he have on his license right now? Well, he's definitely got five right now. Yeah, but remember last year he had gotten to a point where he had to go like three races with no more penalty points or he was going to have to sit out a race. 
Yeah, he, I don't know what that number is right now. Angry Seb does not drive well. I think it's at five because I saw a story that was talking about um, his penalty points. points. So I think he's at five since they get cleared after a season. No, they do not. They don't. They don't They reset. get cleared after 12 months, not after a season. So he had some points. We just don't know how many. And that'll be something to watch. We'll have to put that on the watch list. Yeah. It wasn't on the prediction list, but that would have been a really good question if there would have been anybody that would have gotten too many points on their license to sit out. Now, there is a lot of frustration over the enforcement, lack of enforcement, kind of enforcement, sometimes enforcement of track limits this weekend. Yes. Um, Toto Wolf actually says that uh, he, he's compared it to a Shakespeare novel at this point. That the uh, the rulings are coming out. Because the, the race stewards tell the drivers what they're looking for and what they're going to really enforce on track limits. And did they just have a super wordy ruling? No. So what Toto, and we'll start with Toto Wolf and we'll, we'll move through to, to Michael Mossy and some of the others. What Toto had said was that at the beginning of the race, it was said track limits in turn four wouldn't be sanctioned. And then in the race, suddenly we heard that if you would continue to run wide, it would be seen as an advantage and could cause potential penalty. And then at the end, that decision actually made us win the race. Max ran wide in the definition of the race director, gaining an advantage. He had to give back the position and that saved our victory. So we need to be consistent in which messages are being given. They need to be clear. They need to be sacred and not a Shakespeare novel that leaves interpretation. Okay. And he mentioned something that we haven't brought up yet. Yes. So the final battle of the race, the, the real big battle of the race, Lewis and Max and um, Max going wide at turn four, mm-hmm. taking the lead and within what, three turns? Four turns. Gave it back. Max gave the position back. What we now know is that the direction to do that came directly from race control. Mm -hmm. And this was not... Because usually what happens is, you know, the team will go and chew on it for a little bit and then say, well, maybe you should should give the position back before the stewards come and and yell at us. Or or they just take a penalty. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, apparently it came directly from race control that Max needed to give the position back. And came back quickly. Mm-hmm. Which is unusual. I thought like at one point they said that the edge of the tire was on the track. No, he wasn't even close. So Martin Brundle's first assumption was that Max was close. When we saw the replay, he was like two feet past the line. He was... It, there, it, it, it wasn't even close. So there's been this question of have the limits, and, and certainly what they were enforcing and when changed over the course of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, because free practice one, they were not enforcing limits. Right. Free practice two, they were enforcing limits. And that caused some confusion there. Um, I guess what, so the revised race director's notes issued on Friday 
stated that during the Grand Prix, the track limits at the exit of turn four will not be monitored with regard to setting a lap time, as the defining limits are the artificial grass and the gravel trap in that location. But this definition did not apply during qualifying. And as you'll recall, Perez and at least one other driver lost their lap time for exceeding track limits at turn four. Correct. But we had this direction that said that they would not be monitored for on Sunday. But I thought that there was a piece of that of if as long as you did not gain an advantage. That's the big thing here. Um, and Michael Massey is insistent that the requirements in the rule here did not change. Okay. What he says is that we had two people that were looking in that area at every car, every lap, and pretty much every car bar one was doing the right thing within what we expected in a general sequence. There was the occasional car that had a bit of a moment and went out there or whatever. It was, but it wasn't a constant thing. So what he is saying is exactly your point. Because the Mercedes kept going out there, they deemed that that was gaining an advantage because they consistently done it. Okay. And that was the issue. Okay. It's still odd. So, but walk me down this because I'm I'm a little confused. And if I am, somebody else is. Mm-hmm. I know Lewis exceeded track limits consistently at turn four. I know it. Mm-hmm. And I know that at some point, Bono got on the radio and said, hey, we got a message from race control. You do it again. They're going to... You're being warned. You're being warned. And Lewis's response is, I've done the same thing every lap. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yep, but now we're getting warned. So that... I, I, I'm following. They've said, mm-hmm. Lewis, you've done this enough times. We think you're probably gaining an advantage because you keep doing it. It's not an error anymore. <clears throat> Stop doing right. it. Okay. Lewis does that. Does Lewis's repetitive use of going over the track limits set Verstappen up or was Verstappen doing it also? My understanding is Verstappen was doing it, but not doing it as often. Well, Lewis is an incredibly consistent driver. Mm-hmm. Like he will drive the same lap over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Um, Okay, so you see where I'm going with this is Lewis violates Mm -hmm. it often enough. They say, oh, well, if he's doing it this much, it must be giving him an advantage. Give you a warning. Lewis stops it. Now there's the one overtake that Max finally gets teed up and he exceeds the track limits to make it happen. Now, I will tell you that exceeding the track limits, that was so obvious that he got an advantage by doing that because he overtook Lewis. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you have to wonder if it actually worked out that Lewis kind of set Max up for it. Well, Lewis... I don't think so. Okay. Because of how far off the off the off track the... Max went. It, it, I think it truly was an oversteer, an oversteer moment. And that's why he exceeded. And it was not a matter of... He, he was just taking the turn wider for the sake of taking the turn wider. Okay. To accelerate faster and whatever. And I think that's the big difference. Okay. And there was at some point a message that that was sent to Max that told him that Mercedes and other teams were getting warned. Mm 
So Max was aware that something was up there. Okay. No, not a problem. I, I have to tell you, the one thing that shocked me out of this race totally was that Max actually gave the spot back. I was really surprised that that Max gave the spot back. Knowing Max, that, that was not his thing. Now, Christian Horner came out and said that giving the, 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 uh, the position back was the right thing to do. And he agreed with the decision. He was one of the first ones to come out and say, yeah, the race director told us that we needed to do it. And we agreed with it and we did it. Um, but for Max, that's kind of surprising for him. He's not one, even when he's told, mm-hmm. to necessarily yield unless he absolutely has to. Um, and what we certainly heard from him over the radio was that he would have preferred to have been left out there. He he would have rathered the five-second penalty. He believed that he could have opened up those five seconds, which I'm not sure he could have gotten those five seconds that quick. And Christian Horner even said that he's not convinced that... I mean, we were talking, what, four laps? Yeah. To pull away that quick? I'm not sure that that was reasonable. Well, given the fact that he couldn't put together a second go, mm-hmm. um, there was that. But the other thing is because... Oftentimes, when they get an advantage, the team will say give the place back before race control makes the decision, mm-hmm. basically to avoid the penalty. Right. So, since race control was so quick on the radio and said, "Oh, it, it's got you got to give it back," if they had ignored that, it might not have been just five seconds. Exactly. So, I think you got to play that in your head, and I think Max is only thinking about the five second penalty, not. Well, I, I think the, the ignoring order penalty. The the other thing is there were still, what, three, four laps left in a race? Mm-hmm. You know, if it was on the last lap or the second to last lap and that came down, you possibly could get away with it with the argument of, you know, trying to get to a point where we could safely do that swap. Mm-hmm. And, well, we couldn't do it before the end of the race and that's why we didn't do it and suck it up when you've got that many laps left you don't have that excuse right it becomes a blatant ignoring mm -hmm. and that has a different set of penalties in the sporting regulations that i have come through Mm -hmm. in graphic detail now there was also a lot of talk about why max gave the position back there and this also was an area that i'm surprised by max's response okay um, so Max obviously lost a lot of time giving the position back where he did as quickly as he did um, and made it harder for him to pull off that overtake, which and ultimately he didn't. There was a lot of question as to, well, why didn't you? You could have at least waited till the straightaway and given it back there or just before the straightaway and given it back there where you would have handed it to him you would have had DRS to quickly gain the position back. Mm -hmm. And Max actually said that, well, if they had done that, that wouldn't really have been fair. And to hear something like that from Max is stunning. Did Max grow up over the offseason? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a mature statement Mm -hmm. from a kid that was like, I'll punch you in the nose. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm impressed. 
Let's see how he is over the season. Yeah. Now, I know that he's also super hopeful that he's actually going to have a fight to Mercedes this year. So, Well, you know, looking at what we've just seen this weekend, um, if this is any indication, this is going to be a very close season. And, yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense after, what, eight years now? Mm-hmm. Nine years of Mercedes with the success that they've had to say they might actually not be the strongest team out there, but they might actually not be the strongest team out there. Well, okay. I refuse to do what other pundits in F1 do. Take the most recent thing that happened and go, well, that's it. That's the season. I won't say that. And and, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. And I think there's going to be some very hard-fought battles between the the drivers and between the two teams. I do think that Red Bull has a clear advantage to Mercedes this year. And the other thing that I think is what we have seen in the past, and we've seen it happen a lot in the past and has not gotten better, is when Mercedes is under pressure, they have problems. They have strategy issues. They have pit issues. There are issues that pop up that are independent of the drivers themselves that impact their race results. And we are now looking at a season where, at a minimum, Mercedes is probably going to be under a lot of pressure. Well, I think it could be an exciting season. I -hmm. really do. What I also remember distinctly in an interview that Toto said was they know what the problem is. Yeah. And the minute Mercedes knows what the problem is, the fixes start coming out. So I'll be very interested to see if the next race is as tight. You know, and that's, I mean, I get the token system and I get what they can change Mm -hmm. and what they can't change. But those boffins are smart. But there's also now from the perspective of these teams, as much as Lewis wants to say, yeah, I want the challenge I want, which I'm not so sure he's going to be saying that halfway through the season. Um, From the perspective of the teams, this is an absolute nightmare for both Red Bull and for Mercedes. Think about it. You have a close, very close season, potential for an extremely close season, where every little bit's going to matter. Every little development power is going to matter. All of that stuff. And it all goes out the window next year. Yeah. So where teams are going to be looking not so much to the Haas level of when can we pull the plug on this year's car so that we can focus on next year. Now you've got Mercedes and Red Bull potentially in, you know, back and forth for most of, if not the entire length of the season, that the first one that blinks could possibly give up the season. Well, I think that will be very interesting. I think the next few races, cumulative, the next few races is going to tell us a lot well, yeah. about what that's really going to look like. Because we also have to remember that you have to look at your cleanup driver too. Mm-hmm. you got to look at Valtteri and you've got to look at Perez and see how well they pick up the remaining points. Yeah. That's going to be the other critical key here is because if Perez isn't picking up the last of the points, 
if he's not hanging out on that third step and it's Lewis and Max back and forth, Mercedes will pull it off just because they've got a good cleanup driver. Yeah. Well, they will from a constructor perspective. Yeah. And it's on it's on Lewis to win it for the driver. But mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. So yeah, I didn't really have much else. I mean, great race by by Lando Norris with a fourth place. I know. Um, really impressive there. Great I was run. Really sad that Ricardo had didn't have his greatest showing. I really thought that his experience and that McLaren were going to go together a little bit more seamlessly. You know, from what we saw this weekend, I, I think Daniel suffered from. Something that just about every driver that shifted teams has suffered from Behind is that sh- well that that short off season and the three days of testing, which got them a day and a half in a car, and then thrown into a race situation. I think everyone, whether it's Carlos Sainz, whether it's Daniel Ricciardo, whether it's Sebastian Vettel, there and, and Sergio Perez, they're all still trying to come to grips with a car that is drastically different from what they drove last year and a team that is drastically different from what they drove last year and they're still on the back foot yep i think you're right i i didn't quite take into consideration the short off season um and the next to no testing Mm -hmm. um so on that note we should have a short off season and take another week off well we will have a week off And then we head back to uh, Imola. I know. On that, we should call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.